work at the Coles. And they saw me and immediately realized that I needed some help. And they came over and gave me some advice. And this shirt is the product of their advice. They're like, no, not that one, this one. So thank you. Thank you for your help. This is awesome. Um, so our title this morning uh, is uh, Evangelism in a Divisive World. Evangelism is a in a divisive world. We're going to be looking at Jonah from the Old Testament. So flip your Bibles over to the, crust, the, the crispy pages, the ones that we don't open up and read too often. And we're going to be in the Old Testament this morning, the book of Jonah. He is a prophet. And from a big picture perspective, when you think about the divisiveness in our world and just how much people hate each other and don't get along, I think about social media. I, I have a bunch of friends recently who have deleted their Facebooks and deleted their various social media pages because it's just so divisive and it's so frustrating. And I remember um, just a, a, a good friend of mine, I was just seeing them post all these political things and then they just typed on there, if you don't like what I'm saying, then delete me as a friend. And, and they basically just said, agree with me, I don't want to hear what you have to say. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, you are a Christian, and you're willing to give up friendships with people over politics. Um, I, I think we have a bigger purpose in this world, and I think it's perfect when we look at the book of Jonah, because nobody reads the book of Jonah, I don't think. People don't read the book of Jonah and identify Jonah as them. But the thing I want to say is, Jonah is us, so we'll just start with that. And I would just say that the exact same problems that lead to some of our perspective problems in life are the same problems that Jonah had. And if we can read and understand the book of Jonah, it'll help us read and understand life. And in one sense, there is so much practical wisdom for daily decisions that are in the book of Jonah. But ultimately, it comes down to how we see life and how we see priorities and what really matters. And that's actually where Jonah went wrong. So there's all kinds of good advice we can get. But the, the fundamental thing is, um, does eternity... So we know God from the whole Bible. We know people from the whole Bible. But here's the other thing. The New Testament was written to complete the Old Testament. And here's the other thing. If you sit down and read the New Testament by itself, you cannot understand it. It is not comprehensible without the foundation of the Old Testament. You know, just think about how often as you read through the Old Testament, there'll just be a comment like, well, what about this guy or what about that guy or what about this person? Like there's just a statement made and it is expected that you actually know the whole story. And so I, there's not that there aren't things you can l read and learn from the New Testament, but if you don't have the whole thing, you're handicapped. It is amazing how many theological debates would be solved if you just got people to read the whole Bible. You know, uh, questions about God's sovereignty and free will and election and all those things. We pull a verse, we do all kinds of weird stuff with it. But if you just read the whole Bible, it's actually not that hard to figure this stuff out. And so what I'm going to do this year is we do preach the New Testament. And my assumption is that you guys are Christians, you've been Christians, and you just read the Bible. So my assumption is that here at Foothills, we're different than other places. We read the Bible. And so uh, we do preach through the New Testament. But this year, um, about, every, about once a month, I'm just going to jump into the Old Testament and grab something and teach on it. And that's what we're doing today. And uh, by the way, this is just not all my opinion. Can I tell you that the New Testament says some of the stuff I just said? Let me, let me show it to you. Um, Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. That's one of the great things that comes out of the story of Jonah. And you read the story of Jonah, it will give you hope for yourself. It will give you hope for people that you love. Just reading the book of Jonah. Um, here's another one. Paul says something similar in 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he's just talked about some things that happened in the nation of Israel. And he says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did, be idolaters, indulge in sexual immorality, put Christ to the test, or grumble. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. See, there's a lot of Christians, they grow up in church, they listen to Sunday school teachers, and they listen to mom and dad say, don't be sexually immoral. But they actually haven't read the Bible, they haven't read the Old Testament, they haven't read all the things about how that impacts a person's life, and they just run off into destruction. And then they go, why is my life so miserable? It's like, well, <laughs> read the Bible, it's explained in there. And so we need the Old Testament to actually learn about who God is, who we are, to learn how to apply, how do we actually live our life. And, and, I, and I'll just say that is one of the reasons that Sunday school is essential. Because if we don't have people that show up here on Sunday morning and sit in a classroom with little two and three and four and five-year-old kids and teach them what the Bible says, and not, isn't it great, Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Let's color a picture of a fish. If that's what people are doing in Sunday school, they should cancel Sunday school. And it's, by the way, one of the reasons that churches all over the place cancel Sunday school. Because all they do is tell these stories, but they don't actually put the spiritual significance of those stories. They're not laying a foundation in the lives of kids so that they will grow up and the Christian life will make sense. And so um, we're going to look at the book of Jonah. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite Old Testament books, although I'm not supposed to say that because they're all my favorite. So we're going to see some really important lessons in the book of Jonah. And we're going to see God's power and his sovereignty. We are going to see God's grace and his ability to bring people to salvation and his ability to use discipline to bring maturity in the lives of his children. We're going to see just the incredible miracle of salvation. And uh, we're going to get some practical wisdom for living life. So this is a great story. It is a story about Jonah. And he is a prophet, and we're actually, it takes about seven minutes to read the book of Jonah. So this morning, we're actually going to read the entire book of Jonah. So here's going to be our points. I want to um, just line them out. There's two from chapter one, one from chapter two, one from chapter three, and one from chapter four. So we got five points this morning, and we're going to look at the first one. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Jonah chapter one, verse one through three. That's our first point. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. And Jonah disobeys. Um, God says Jonah to, to Nineveh, and Jonah disobeys. You know any people that disobey God, they read things and go, yeah, not that for me. See, that's, that is what happens to people who didn't read the book of Jonah. Uh, like, if that happens to you, it's because you didn't read it and think about it. And if it happens to your kids, it's because they didn't read it and think about it. But here's what it says. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, that reason for in Hebrew, it can mean that. So go tell them that, hey, your evil has gone up before God. So that's one possible translation. Another one is that word for for could mean because. And so God's saying to Jonah, go call against Nineveh. Because their evil has come up before me. And I just want you to know, in this passage, it's because. He's not going to let them know that they are sinful. He is going to speak to them because God knows that they are sinful. Um, so God always knows. And even when it sees, seems like he is not paying attention, God pays attention to everything. He sees everything. When you run away from church and your Christian friends and you're involved in sin... And you think nobody knows. God knows. 
So their evils come up before them, and look at Jonah's response. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So what stands out to you there? Jonah's a prophet. God says, arise and go, and he arises and flees. He does the exact opposite of what God says. Um, so that, that should stand out. He's a prophet, and one of the things we're going to find out, Jonah is actually a man of incredible faith, and he's also a man of incredible biblical knowledge. He knows spiritual truth. We'll see that later. And he has incredible faith. It's actually why he runs away. And, uh, but Jonah, so he's had all this religious instruction and all these things, and he just disobeys God, and he runs from the presence of God. That is such a bizarre statement for a prophet who know, knows God's word, that he's trying to get away from God. Um, do you think Jonah, you know, understood God's omnipresence, the fact that he was everywhere. I think he understood some of those things communicated in Scripture. Like in Psalm 139, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I descend into the depths of the sea, you are there. You cannot get away from God. But he is running from God's presence. And I don't think that he actually thinks he can get away from God. But I think he's just saying, God's telling me to do something that I really don't want to do. And I just want to get as far away as possible. See, there are believers that when they struggle and they wander away from sin, they quit hanging out with their friends. They leave town. They go other places. And it's to try to get away from that pressure. That's what Jonah's doing. Um, one of the things I want to point out here is where it says in uh, verse 3, so he paid the fare and went down to into it. Nowhere in the Old Testament is that word translated as fare. It's always translated as price. Here's the emphasis here. Jonah either bought the whole boat or he paid a massive fare to get on there. You ever seen people or have you ever been in a place in your life where you're so committed to something, a lot of times it's disobedience or whatever, that you will do anything to get this thing. You know, it's the people who take their life savings, go to Vegas and put it on red. It's people who make decisions and they just go, they go do sinful things and they just, they want this thing so much they do not care what it costs them. It is not rational. It doesn't make any sense. Jonah is so committed to disobeying God that he will pay any, it doesn't matter. He goes to the sailors, you got to get me out of here. And those sailors say, well, um, well, well I, I have an idea about why, but they probably said, no, well, you can't come. And he's like, how much? And they probably gave him some crazy price, and he just thought, I don't care. He gave it to them, and he gets on the boat. Sometimes people in their life of sinfulness, they're so committed to it, they sacrifice things that are irrational. That's Jonah. All right, let's, let's jump on. Uh, oh, let me just show you this map. So Jonah's just a little bit above Joppa. He goes down to Joppa, he gets on that ship, and he heads to Tarshish, which is over in Spain. It's like 2,500 miles. It's probably the farthest place he can think of. And it is the opposite direction of Nineveh, which is 550 miles away. So you see Nineveh up there? So he goes the opposite direction. And let's look at verse 4. Uh, what we're going to see here is that God is going to discipline Jonah. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship threatened to break up. Um, that word hurled, pay attention to that word hurled. We're going to see that multiple times. So God hurls this great wind. There is this mighty tempest. Have you ever been in a storm? Have you ever watched any of the videos of cruise ships out in the ocean? Man, the, a stormy ocean is terrifying. It's like this eerie, terrifying. One time I went surfing, and the waves were massive, and I just remember paddling up the face of this wave, and it was so stormy and windy. And I'm just doing these multiple paddles, trying to get up the face of this wave and finally get over the top of it. And I'm just thinking, am I insane? What am I doing out here? And I finally went in, and I lived, obviously. <laughs> but while I was out there, I was just thinking about how terrifying the sea is. 
and God sends this storm. This, this, the, they're afraid that the, that the ship is going to break up. And it says, then the mariners were afraid. And the, the word for mariners, it's professional sailors. These are not volunteers, weekend warriors. They do this, and it says they feared a great fear. That's what it says in Hebrew. And the thing with them is that they are terrified, which means this is a big deal. Sailors have been in storms a lot. And these guys are terrified. And each one just starts crying out to his God. They all have their own gods. They all worship their own people, and they're crying out. And then they're so desperate that they, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So basically, they threw their life savings away. Because they got this cargo, they're delivering it, they're going to get paid for it, they're going to be financially responsible for it. But they're just sitting there in a boat saying, nothing is worth our life. And so they throw their entire, bo- uh, their, their entire wealth overboard. And then it says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So Jonah's wasting his money. He's so severely depressed that while everybody's in terror, he's just laying in the bottom of a boat about to sleep. Uh, think about what happens to believers when they wander away from God, when they live a sinful life. It's miserable. It's not a blessing. It's a sad thing. And here he's so depressed. He's in the bottom of the sea. And so God is going to use, Jonah's ignoring God. He knows that this is God's hand. He's ignoring God. And God is going to use other people to come talk to him. Now think about that. Sometimes when we are not paying attention to what God's doing in our life, he sends other people to speak to us. And sometimes when other people are not paying attention to God, He sends you to speak to them. So that's what God's going to do here. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Nothing's working. And they say, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Okay, <laughs> just a side note. Everybody talks about Jonah being swallowed by the fish. And, and we have like these favorite miracles in the Bible that we like to pick and go, I don't think that really happened. And this must just be a story and stuff like that. But as we read through the book of Jonah, how many miracles are in the book of Jonah? Like the hurling of the sea, um, the the ship about to break up when they cast lots it just happens to fall on Jonah you know it's kind of a bizarre thing but when you start dismissing miracles if we just dismiss them all there's almost nothing left in the Bible and so that's a that's an interesting thing to consider is if you could do one miracle couldn't you do any miracle and and I I often understand the irrational I struggle to understand the irrationality of people who say Oh, I believe in the resurrection, but I don't believe Jonah got swallowed by a fish. I'm like, really? How are they different? So there's miracles throughout here. You should count them during my sermon. Put a little check every time we cross a miracle. So they cast lots. The lot falls to Jonah. And they said to him, tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And then Jonah just says, okay, let me tell you what you really want to know. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you think they believe him that God made the sea? See, he's in trouble, and the sea's a storm, and also the dry land, which is where they want to go. God's in charge of all of it. So he just says he made the sea and the dry land, and the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what is this that you have done For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. One of the things you find out about these sailors is that they're superstitious. Um, The way that they functioned, they were always afraid that they might have accidentally angered a God. So anytime things were going wrong, they started praying, okay, everybody pray to your God. Maybe one of us accidentally did something and, and try to appease your God. Could you imagine living in a place where God is unstable and irrational and you have no idea what makes him happy or not happy? Like that's how these sailors lived. But Jonah knows exactly what's true about God and what pleases him and what displeases him. And so, they're, they, so when they heard 
that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of God. They're so superstitious. I'm not surprised he had to pay the, the price of the ship because they're probably thinking to themselves, hey, we, we don't need somebody to mess up our life. No, you're out of here. And he probably had to just keep on coming up with money until they agreed to let him on the ship. And I'll bet about right now, when they've just lost everything by throwing it into the sea, they were probably thinking to themselves, maybe letting Jonah on the ship wasn't a good idea. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lesson in this. You got to be careful when you hang out with people that are disregarding and disobeying God in their life. You know, a lot of times God's discipline and God's judgment and God's punishment follows people who shake their fist in God's face. And sometimes we run around and hang out with those people and do stuff with them, and then we wonder why everything's going wrong in our life. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Sometimes they influence us and we participate. Uh, Proverbs 17, 12, let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cups, cubs rather than a fool in his folly. You go hang out in those areas you are in trouble because that's a bad crowd to be around. Proverbs uh, tells us this, because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord, would, um, would have none of my counsel, despised all my proof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, they will have the fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by turning away the complacency of fools destroys them but whoever listens to me will dwell in will dwell secure and I will and will be at, at ease and without the dread of disaster um, that's a great warning we don't go hang out and surround ourselves and and spend all of our time with people who hate God who shake their fist in God's face all kinds of people have problems but they haven't read the Bible, and they haven't seen all these patterns. They're not aware of this, and they wonder, why am I having so many problems? But I want you to think about this, too. If you're a person like Jonah, who is running away from God, who's disregarding God, this is something you need to think about, sometimes God's discipline in your life will touch the people who love you, the people who are around you. That's one of the things I think about. Hey, I want God's blessing in my life, but I don't want God's discipline to impact Michelle and my kids. And because, because God's discipline in this situation didn't just affect Jonah. So they go on in verse 11, and they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. Uh, and he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. So God's hurling the storm. They're hurling their stuff. And now Jonah's saying, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the, mo the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. And they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done, it out, done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. So think about Jonah's commitment to rebel against God. Like, how committed he is. God says, go here. He says, no, it costs him money. He's headed the wrong direction. There's this major storm that's got everybody terrified. He should be terrified. He refuses to give up. Now, here's the thing. These men, after they know everything, are trying their best to row him to shore. They're trying to get him to dry land. And I think it's their superstition. They're like, okay, his God is so powerful, he's created this storm, and if we kill him, what's that God going to do to us? And so they're trying their best, and they can't do it, and they finally say, okay, God, we're going to throw him in, but don't hold it against us. You're the one who's making us do this. And then the moment they throw him into the sea, it's all calm. See, that's another miracle. 
Now, you've heard of the foxhole salvation prayers. That's not what this is. God's going to save these sailors. Look what it says here in verse, 15, or verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. See, they were incredibly afraid of the storm, but now they have an incredible reverence for God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. So here's one of the things. God has sent, Jonah's God's prophet. He's sending them with the message of salvation to go save people that Jonah doesn't want him to go to. And here's the crazy thing. As he disobeys God, it's bad for Jonah. We're going to find out how bad in a second. It's bad for Jonah. But what does God still do? He still saves people. He still gets what he wants. You know, it's kind of nice to know that God doesn't need any of us to have what he wants. If I'm here, God could use me. And if I go somewhere else, God could use whoever's next. If you obey God, God will use you. If you don't obey God, he will bring somebody else. And actually, even in your disobedience, God may allow you to be a living example of, hey, wow, God's real. Don't be like that guy. Uh, God is in the business of accomplishing his purpose. The question is, is it going to be good for us or is it going to be bad for us? And you could look at Samson. There's the same story there. God raised him up to kill Philistines, and he disobeyed God, and it went real bad for Samson. He ended up with his eyes gouged out, grinding wheat with the Philistines. But you want to know what still happened? Samson still killed Philistines. It just wasn't good for Samson. And, and this is, by the way, <laughs> like these are just such basic things that everybody grows up. They don't think about. They live their life in such disregard and foolishness from God. And, and partly because they haven't just thought about what the Bible says. But God saves these sailors, and that says something about God. Let's look at the third thing, is we're going to see that God is actually going to rescue Jonah when he repents. And by the way, this section right here is so important for you, and it is so important for your parenting. This is so important for your friendship and how you view life, how you view relationships, how you view the things you see in the lives of the people you care about. Look what's going to happen here. And this is verse 17. And so verse 17 of chapter 1 and the last verse of chapter 2 talk about Jonah being swallowed and spit up. And people a lot of times actually kind of miss the whole order of what's happening here. So Jonah's punishment, uh, think about how serious God is about obedience. We're going to find out here that Jonah is, God's going to drown Jonah. You know, God's gracious and he loves us. And let's just tell everybody God has a wonderful plan for your life and he loves you. And if you come to the Lord, it'll be so nice. You'll be rich. Everything's going to go good. You won't get sick. You just pray. God gives you whatever he asked for. It's just this wonderful thing. Uh, God doesn't make junk. He loves everybody. He wants you to feel good and happy. And, and people get this idea that I'm the one in charge of my life. I decide what I do. And God, come along and bless me and be nice to me. And if you don't, I'm mad. But one of the things that we see here is God says to Jonah, go preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, no. And God says, I will drown you. I will put you in the middle of a massive storm, and you will obey me or you will die. Uh, let me show you that. Um, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's what I want you to know. That is... That was God's salvation of Jonah. Because now Jonah is going to explain what happened between when he got thrown in and when God sent the fish. Let me show it to you. It's chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. So now he's in the fish, and he's going to pray. And in his prayer, he is going to thank God for what God did for him after he got thrown in, and we're going to see actually what happens. Look at this. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. So he's thrown into the sea. He is sinking 
And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look up, look upon your holy temple. He's sinking. He's like, okay, I wanted to get away from God. I'm getting away from God. I'm in, an, in the ocean. But then I looked up to you. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me, and yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So Jonah's drowning, and here's the thing that's interesting. He doesn't repent when he's on the boat. He does not repent when he gets thrown into the sea. As he sinks, he's not repenting. As the weeds are wrapping around his head, he is not repenting. Have you ever met somebody like that? You're just like, okay, this person's hit rock bottom. They're going to come back to the Lord. And then you realize, no, there's way more bottom to this person's life than I thought. No matter what, they just keep going down the same road. And you just think, okay, this is it. This is the day things change and nothing changes. You ever been there? See, that's Jonah. But here's what it says right here, verse 7. When my life was fainting away. So Jonah waits until he's so out of breath that he is about to pass out. He is drowning. He is starting to lose consciousness. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. That's the moment that Jonah prays. He waits till the last second. And that's what's so amazing about God's grace because even though he waited till then, guess what? A fish got to him in time and swallowed him and took him back and coughed him up on the beach so that he could go do what God told him to do. Here's something else we find out. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in, of steadfast love. So when you're making a commitment to a vain idol, that's useless. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah, just as he's drowning, says, okay, God, I'll do what you say. And the fish comes and swallows him. And uh, says, goes on, and the, and the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Now, just about the, um, I've, so I've read a bunch about fish and plants that go real fast and grow real fast and all this stuff. It, it's kind of amazing how people try to throw a, either, the, either they say this didn't really happen or they kind of try to put some naturalistic spin on it. Um, there, there's two stories of people from the late 1800s where uh, they were on a, a whaling fish and some guy falls into the ocean and a whale swallows him and they end up getting him out of the fish and, and uh, they end up catching the whale and get him out of the belly. And so there's like this description of how scientists researched this and found out it really happened. And this guy describes how he went into the fish and how it was so hot in there and he had a hard time. Uh, but he could still breathe, and so he's kind of describing the situation in the stomach of this whale. There's another one where this whale swallows some, some guy and then, like, spits him back out onto the wreckage of a boat. So, like, there's these two stories of people who actually, from the late 1800s, early 1900s, got swallowed by a fish and lived. And then you can read about how plants just go really fast. Well, have you also heard about the guys who jumped out of an airplane and their parachute didn't open and they landed on the side of a mountain and kind of rolled down and ended up living, like coming out of a plane? Like there's examples of that stuff like crazy things happening with pilots where, where they fall out of a plane and somehow they end up living because, because they hit a hill just right. <laughs> you know, just crazy stuff. But can I just tell you, none of that stuff matters. God created the world out of nothing. And we don't have to come up with a natural explanation for how a guy got swallowed by a fish and lived. God made air. He made us to breathe air. And so God doing miracles, you know, if we have to have a natural ex you know, ex explanation for everything that happens in the Bible, like that's just ridiculous. The thing is God created the world. God made everything. He is all powerful. He does whatever he wants. I don't believe this story because some guy got swallowed in the late 1800s by a fish. I don't even know if that's true. I believe this story because I know who God is. I know he made everything out of nothing, and he said it happened. And by the way, Jesus said it happened. 
Um, he talks about Jonah, and he actually talks about the reality of Jonah's life and ministry. Jonah was a real historical figure that's been talked about in other places. This is not a story. This really happened. And anyway, I, I'm gonna, I'll stop there. I could go on for a while about that. So they repent. God saves them. Let's look at chapter 3 where God saves Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He gives him a chance. He says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So this time, Jonah does what he's told. And I just want to tell you, um, you should do what you're told. When you open up the Bible and you read it and it says something, you should do it. And that should not be brain surgery. That should not be confusing. We should not be the kind of people that we open up the Bible, we read it, it tells us to do something, we blow it off. talks about who to marry and when to get married and how to manage your life and, and how to function and all kinds of things. And we got all kinds of people who just, oh, boy, yeah, that's great for someone else. They just do whatever they want. When we open the Bible, we should obey it. And that is something that our kids need to see in our life, and it's a foundation that doesn't just happen one day. It's a foundation that happens when you have a two-year-old and you start explaining to them what God says. And then you say, this is what I do, and this is why I do it. And see Joe over there? You see how what Joe did? He disregarded God. Look what happened to Joe. You see Sam over there? See how he obeyed God? Look what happened to him. It's two-year-olds and three-year-olds. And it's not just saying, hey, do this thing, and I'll give you a piece of candy. Like, let, what do we do to modify the behavior of our kids and get them to do what we're telling them to do? Or do we actually train them to think about life from a spiritual perspective? You know, it's like we, we raise our kids giving them candy to do the things we tell them to do. And we wonder why when they get older and they don't want a piece of candy, they want something else. They just go do that. Wow. <laughs> and then the other thing is many of us have learned to live our lives that way. And we're still doing it and we're the adults. And so when God says to do something, we just do it. Why? Well, number one, God is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Master. And we do what we're told because he's the king who has a right to tell us what he wants us to do. We have no right to disobey God. That's number one. Number two, we do what God says because God is smarter than we are. And because when he tells us to do something, it is what is best whether we think it is or not. And we do what God says because God is the ruler of the universe and he will have his way. And if you're his child and you disobey him, he will drown you. And there's some people that they don't call out to God and they actually do die. The New Testament tells us about that. But we don't live life and just function like we're God. God is God. So Jonah obeys That's what he should have done the first time. Now, Nineveh was a gr an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going and going a day's journey, and he called out, here's his proclamation to the Ninevites, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He walks into town and says, hey, guys, in 40 days, God's going to kill you all. And that's his message. <laughs> Did he say more? I don't know. But that's what he tells them. Uh, by the way, historically, there were all kinds of things. Like there was this full eclipse, there was this earthquake. There's all these kinds of things that in a superstitious city is going to stress them out, make them feel like something's wrong, like God's working through all this stuff. And then he sends a prophet to go say, in 40 days, you're all going to die. And uh, there's a lot of us that, you know, again, we should tell people that Jesus loves them and has a great plan for their life. John did that, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what we should tell people. But you want to know something? There is more to the gospel message than that. That's part of it, but that's not all there is. And Jonah just tells him God's going to kill him. And then in verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and in ashes. 
he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor, nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Not like quietly in your house. You better start screaming for God's forgiveness. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the wickedness that's in his hands. You know, it's interesting. He didn't just say, hey, change your attitude, have good feelings about God, say something nice to God. He said, you better call out and you better change your way of living. You better quit doing violence. You better stop doing evil you need to change. That's what he tells him to do. And then he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we would not perish. Um, okay. Let's go into the capital of the United States today. And ju let's just go and say, hey, God's going to destroy the United States and he's destroying all of you. So you better repent. And then let's just list off all the sins that our country embraces. And let's say turn away from those, turn away from them all. And then Biden, all the congressmen, and all the senators pass a law. And they say everybody better grieve, you better repent, put sackcloth and ashes. Quit doing all these sinful things we do in our country. Stop all of it, and cry out every day, and maybe God will have grace on our country. Now, I want to ask you a question. What is a bigger miracle, Jonah being swallowed by a fish or Nineveh repenting? And here's the thing that we're going to find out is Jonah actually had the faith to believe that God would do that. It's why he didn't go to Nineveh is he knew God would save him. And how many of us, we, we, are, we, we have such a low view of God and his power and his ability to save that we, we shrink back and we hide in some corner and we're afraid to own up to the fact that we're believers. And we don't share the gospel with people because we think uh, they won't be changed, they won't be saved. And that's because people don't read Jonah. Um, anyway, uh, or other things in the Old Testament. Verse 10, <laughs> this is interesting too, what God saw. When God saw what they did, I mean, it didn't say when, when God looked into their heart and he knew what their heart was. No, when God saw what they did. Well, it's all about your motives and how sincere. God looked out there and said, are there sincere people out there? No. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way and relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, he did not do it. See, we got this bizarre way of thinking that God cares about how you feel and what your motives are and that kind of stuff. You know what the Bible says? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. When John was preaching to the Pharisees, he said, uh, bear deeds appropriate to repentance. Don't sit here and tell me you like God and that you feel bad about what you're doing. Change the way you live. And, and so what did God do? Uh, like, like we have just such a bizarre view of life. And we raise our kids to have this bizarre view of life because we don't read the Bible. But when God saw what they did, he relented. Um, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. So here's how we get a window into Jonah's heart. By the way, the Assyrians, you know, Jonah hated the Assyrians. And, and everybody says Jonah's just this wicked, terrible prophet. He was self-centered and selfish, and he hated people, and he's the worst missionary. And, and we just think, you know, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not like that. I'm a much nicer person than Jonah. Jonah's just an idiot. I want you guys to know that you're not an idiot, but you are just like Jonah. See, we don't think about the reality of why Jonah was this committed to this. Um, 
so it could be racist things in the sense that Jonah was a Jew. Um, but I think it goes beyond that. The Assyrians were brutal people. They cut people's body parts off. They'd go into town, get people, and cut them up into pieces. Uh, what one of the things they did is they just cut off people's heads, and they just piled up all these heads out in front of their, their gate. They were so brutal that when they came into town, they just wanted people to uh, not even fight them, but to just be so terrified about how they'd be tortured. See, what we should do is we should just, re let's rephrase this a little bit. Let's take somebody in a concentration camp that had been raped, that had watched all their family and friends be murdered and killed and tortured and gassed. Now let's take that person out of the concentration camp and let's say head into Germany, Nazi Germany. And go preach to the people who did all this stuff to you. And by the way, they're going to repent and I'm going to save them. And Jonah's just thinking, no way. What they did to my friends, what they did to me. So Jonah hated them. You know, we, we think, Jonah, you're, you're such a knucklehead and you just don't like people. You ever been bitter against somebody? You ever wished that bad things would happen to somebody because of what they've done to you? See, that's Jonah, and we don't even comprehend the intensity of how he feels about those things. So that's a little background on verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. You know, this isn't fair. We've been talking about that stuff going through Matthew, right? This isn't fair. The workers felt like things weren't fair. Like these are, by the way, all the same things Jesus has been teaching through the New Testament. And he was angry exceedingly, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? Some people think Jonah didn't want to go. He's afraid he'd get tortured. No, he tells us why right here. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, because I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says to Jonah, you think it's okay that you're angry? Do you do well to be angry? So here's, we're going to see God's grace in Jonah's life. God's going to minister to him, encourage him, help him, help him grow. It's not just the Ninevites he saved. He's going to work on Jonah's heart. And Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he could see what be, would become of the city. So he's over there, and he's like, God says he's going to save these people, but I hope he changes his mind. I want to see Sodom and Gomorrah happen here. I'm just going to lay here and watch, and I can hope. Have you ever seen people that they're about to die and God gets their attention and they start to follow God, but they're not done yet? See, for all of us, we're not done yet. We make progress. We make positive steps like Jonah did. At least he's doing what God tells him to do. But he still has some things in his heart that he needs to work on. So the Lord appointed <laughs> another miracle. Okay, I'm, I'll stop pointing him out. The Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, oh, another one, uh, that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. God's controlling the weather. He's making Jonah uncomfortable. <laughs> He's taking away his shade. He's making him miserable. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. You know, God's asking him questions. God's putting him in a situation. And he's making him think differently about his circumstances. See, what ends up happening, I remember I watched this. I saw a commercial for a movie one time years ago. It was a commercial on TV. I said, get ready to root for the bad guy. <laughs> I just thought, I don't root for bad guys. I'm not going to watch a movie and hope the bad guy wins. That's not going to happen. But you want to know something? If you spin a story, you can justify anything. And that's the problem is that we're the bad guy, but we tell ourselves a story that makes us root for ourselves. And so what God's going to do is ask Jonah some questions. He's going to create a situation. He's going to help him see it differently. By the way, in your ministry to people, a lot of times that's what you need to do. People are going through life telling themselves a story. 
and we need to help them think about their circumstances differently. Um, sometimes we need to help people suffer. Like think about Jonah. What if Jonah's mommy was there? And Jonah got thrown over the boat and he's drowning. And Jonah's, mo- Jonah's mommy swam over with some oxygen and said, here's oxygen, Jonah. I don't want you to drown. Instead of saying, thank goodness he's suffering, thank goodness everything is a disaster in his life, and I'm going to make sure I don't do anything to stop that. I want him to suffer when he disobeys God. And when he's not thinking right, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to help him think right. But instead, we care more about this life than eternity. And so we help people along in their destruction. We move away the things that are causing them discomfort. And it's because we care more about their earthly happiness than their eternal destiny. But not God. He's going to work, continue to work in his life, work on his heart. And then the Lord says this in verse 10. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished at night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? That's a weird way for the book to end. People who don't know their right from their left, that's children. So God is saying, shouldn't I care about Nineveh? It's full of kids and it's full of animals. And none of the kids tortured your friends, and none of the animals court tortured your friends, and I made the animals and I made the kids. Shouldn't I care about them? So that is where the book ends, and we never hear what happens with Jonah. Do you know why? Because this question is actually not for Jonah. This question is for you. And if you answer it, then it's in Jonah's life. This is intentionally left without an ending because you are the ending. And I think Jonah did learn this story because Jonah wrote this book. And he wrote this book so that you would learn what he learned. And so um, this is an amazing book about God's sovereignty, his power, his creation, his love, and the way that he works in life. And uh, this is important for us to know, just like everything in the Old Testament, because without it, we do all kinds of things that are counterproductive. We don't think our, our, our choices and our behavior. We don't think about what we should be doing in other people's lives and how we encourage people who are struggling and when we help somebody and when we don't help somebody. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thanks for the book of Jonah. Help us to be people that are faithful to you in your name. Amen.